Okie dokie. Oh. A podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are continuing to work our way through the gospel narrative. This is Gospels part 68. Last week we saw where Jesus was discussing with his disciples this halakala, this oral teaching interpretation of what to do when someone sins against you within the assembly of God, particularly within Israel and how Jesus kind of gives us this system where first you address the person privately with just a couple witnesses, and then you bring more people involved, and then eventually the whole assembly becomes involved, but each time there's opportunities for repentance until it sort of reaches a certain point where the person is then cast out in terms of being a part of the community, and then have this aspect of binding and loosing that God is sort of supportive and agreeing with how the leadership within his assembly are trying to interpret the commandments and how to treat people within the assembly. Yeah. Um, and then we move from there to Peter kind of being on the same topic of asking, like, well, speaking of sinning against one another, like, it, it where's the threshold with forgiveness? Is it seven times? Like, is that enough? And then Jesus responds, like, numerically by hinting at there is no limit. It's 70 times seven. And then... Yeah uses a parable about the um, the master who's settling accounts with the servants and how this measure for measure, how you treat other people with forgiving them is how God is going to treat you in forgiveness. So very yeah. heavy stuff. It is. So many people have heard that story. Just come up here and, you know, say the prayer or whatever phrase they use, accept Jesus in your heart, get born again, whatever the words are. And your sins will be forgiven. But, hey, you have to forgive. That's an important part of that story. It's That is heavy stuff, Samuel. Heavy stuff. But, actually, uh, we're going to kind of switch topics. I mean, again, we're going through chronologically. This is just what's next. But uh, it, things kind of change right here. So, let's go on. Maybe it won't be quite as heavy. It's not my brother. It's Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him, who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Now, Depending on the translation that you have, you may have some additional text right there at the end. Uh, Verses 55 and 56 that I just read were really short. Here's something more like what you may have in your Bible. But he turned and rebuked them, and he said, 
you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man came not to destroy people's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. So, that actually is some very interesting text. Again, we don't know how seriously we should take it in terms of its reliability, but there's some interesting things. So, we'll talk about it some. But anyway, Samuel, he starts out with this thing where he says, uh, the days drew near for him to be taken up, and he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, this is actually kind of interesting. Uh, I read uh, another, like just an alternate version that was interesting to me. I want to read it real quick. It says, when the time was being fulfilled for him to be removed upward, he became fixated and resolved to go to Jerusalem. And just listening to that version compared to the the normal versions we normally see, it you almost get the sense that Luke is purposely trying to do a little bit of wordplay here, where he's kind of uh, comparing or uh, maybe opposing. I'm not quite sure. Not quite sure what the right word is, uh, but he's he's taken that phrase "ascending to heaven" versus that idea of going up to Jerusalem. They both involve the idea of going. Up And so those phrases are actually quite similar, taken up and, and to go up. It's all about the Aliyah. And so all Jews go up for the festivals. And of course, Jesus is preparing to go up as in returning to the Father. So I don't know. I thought that was pretty interesting. I wanted to throw that in there before we went in any further. But anyway, again, it says that he's preparing to return to Jerusalem. Now, We've already heard Jesus talk about this a couple of times now, and Samuel, you remember, we talked a little bit about how, hey, there's a real turning point here. It was was in and around that time of the transfiguration, a little before, a little after, whatever, we got this idea that, you know what, the story's changing here. And now here Luke is making it really explicit in his gospel that the whole tenor of his gospel changes right here. But the thing is, It covers a time period of something more than six months. It could be as much as a year, but I don't think it's quite that long. But it, Luke's gospel especially, but the other ones too, they maintain this overall theme of heading for Jerusalem and that final Passover. Now, there's a whole lot of story, a lot of stuff that happens between here and there, but that's the underlying theme. And so, I don't know if you remember, what did we do at the end of the last episode, Samuel? Um, I don't know. We celebrated because we were... Oh, we were halfway through the Gospels. Yeah, halfway! And now, wait a second, we're talking about Jerusalem only being a little over six months away. So that entire first half of the Gospels, everything that we've done, covered over two years. And now, a similar amount of of Gospels remains, and we're only going to cover a little over six months. That's pretty amazing, but that's what lies before us. Mm. Yeah, crazy, right? So anyway, he intends to go to Samaria, or through Samaria, I should say. And of course, we get the idea that he's he's on his way to Jerusalem, not like in the, the general overarching sense, but but for a practical sense. And it could be 
maybe maybe we really are a year out. Maybe he's actually going up for a Passover, the one before his final one, right? Or maybe it really is only about six months out, and he's actually preparing to go up for something like Sukkot or something, because we know that that, well, maybe we don't know, I know, (laughs) that that's coming soon in our story, because I've been studying up there, right? The thing is, it it could also be, maybe he isn't even actually headed to Jerusalem proper, maybe that's just the direction he's traveling, and this is just a part of his normal travels, who knows? The point is, whatever he's doing, he sends some people ahead, and they're supposed to be making some preparations, and you remember the last time that he was in Samaria that we that we read about Samuel? Uh, was that, am I thinking backwards that it was the woman at the well? That's exactly it, yeah. And what did he do? Once, once uh, he had talked to her and she went and got a bunch of people from the village and they came out. Do you remember what happened after that? Specifically concerning Jesus and the Samaritans? Um, well, didn't her... Witness calls a bunch of people to start believing? Yes. And and then he stayed. Oh he stayed yeah. a couple days. You remember that? Yep. Yep. And we don't we don't know that the disciples did. It, it it the text doesn't say anything about it, so you sort of get the sense that they didn't, but he did. So they had had like some friendly encounters there before, at least well, we don't know it was exactly the same place, exactly the same village. We don't know that. But, you know, in the area. But the question is, or you may have a question, what were all these preparations for? Well, at this point in time, many scholars, they, they imagine Jesus's group that he was traveling with was actually quite large. And so sending someone in advance wouldn't just be practical. It would also, it's, it's almost like the, the inverse of hospitality. It was demonstrating a, a thoughtfulness and a kindness to send someone ahead as opposed to just showing up with a big group saying, surprise! Aha! So, so that, that's what a lot of scholars think is going on, why he sent people ahead to prepare. But then, then, then it's hard to tell from the text. Were the Samaritans rejecting the ones who were sent ahead, or did they actually wait until Jesus showed up and reject Jesus himself? Now, the text, it's not super clear in either direction. I think both are at least reasonably possible, but for me, and you could be different, but for me, the text seems to more strongly suggest that they waited. Jesus himself showed up. And he was rejected face to face, which is, that's pretty rough. Mm. I mean, it would have been a lot easier if they had told the guys, hey, no, 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 we don't want that guy here. But I guess, what are the things that make me say that? Well, when they say the messengers entered the village uh, to make preparations, there's no mention of them being rejected right at that point. Uh, Then it goes on and it's very specific. It says that the people did not receive him. So you get the sense that it wasn't them, but it was him, Jesus himself. And then it says uh, that they went on to another village, and and I don't know, it's just, maybe it's just me, but it, it has that sense of, hey, we're already here. Oh, we can't stay? Oh, well, then we have to go on from here to another village, right? Instead of from, you know, they were on the, the road or whatever. 
And so I don't know. Seems like they they actually made it into town. But then here you go, Samuel. Why? Why didn't they receive him? Mm, let's go back to the text. Good but idea. The people did not receive him, verse 53, because his face was set towards Jerusalem. Yeah. Now, why would that bother them? Seems very odd. Well, maybe we can make it unodd. <laughs> Is there such a thing? So, okay, let's talk about this just real quick. Remember how, and, and we mentioned this before, this, this road between the Galilee and Jerusalem that goes through Samaria, not everybody's favorite route. Um, Jews traveling to Jerusalem through Samaria. Okay, it wasn't unheard of. We talked about that before. And in some circles, and, and maybe at certain times of the year, like festivals, etc., it was actually kind of common. So, so they may have been, you know, like literally traveling with a whole bunch of other people that weren't associated with them or not. We can't really tell. But that road, it may not have been pleasant because the Samaritans made it not pleasant, but it wasn't forbidden. The Samaritans didn't, didn't forbid travel or anything like that. It wasn't that bad. They just, there was just tension and, and it was, it was ugliness. But let's go back, Samuel. Remember, remember what the woman at the well said. Read it for us from John chapter four, verse 20. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Yeah. And that was a big deal to her, right? We want to worship here at Mount Gerizim. You think that we need to worship in Jerusalem. And now, what did Jesus do when, when she said that? Do you remember what he said to her? I can't off the top of my head. He basically said, yeah, here's the deal. We're right and you're wrong. Boom roasted. <laughs> I mean, he, yeah, he was so blunt about it. And, and if, but still think of all the things that happened even after he said that. Jesus stayed in town for a couple of days. They gladly received him. He, and, and he's clearly siding with the Jews and the Jerusalem part of the story. And it seems that he, he must have spoken as freely this time through as he did that last time, except this time he was rejected for it. So they didn't want him to stay because he had, he had set his face toward Jerusalem instead of accepting Gerizim as a possibility. So, you know, they were kind of doing the, hey, no cloak, no Gerizim, no service. And remember this lack of hospitality, hospitality, hospitality. (laughs) The older I get, the worse it gets. No, you're just adding to the, adding to the dictionary. That's all. That's, that's right. That's right. So remember that lack of hospitality is, it's like a great evil or considered to be a great evil in Jewish culture, the Samaritan culture, all of it. And if if we go back, uh, it depends on who you read and from where, but it's even included, lack of hospitality is included in the reasons for the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's actually right in your own very Bible. So that's kind of cool. But anyway, they don't like it. They want him out of there. <laughs> then, I love this part, James and John, do you remember their nickname, Samuel? We talked about this once. The Sons of Thunder. Yeah, 
Yes, James and John, the sons of thunder. But they're offended, not for themselves. They're offended on Jesus' behalf. And they want to call down fire, right? And they want to do it, I guess, like Elijah did. Elijah did that, right? Or even like what we saw in Sodom and Gomorrah, just want to consume them all. But here's a question, Samuel. Did they really think that they could do that? I I literally was just thinking that because it's like they struggle so much with performing miracles that Jesus gave them authority to do, but now they're feeling super confident that they can bring fire down from the heavens. Exactly. That's so crazy. And and you're right. We've read all kinds of cool stories where, I mean, you know, the, the apostles apparently did some really cool, awesome things too, but calling down fire from heaven, that just seems like a little bit of a leap for me. I don't know. Either way, Jesus was not impressed with their idea. He didn't like it. And so he rebuked them for thinking and saying such a thing. Now, again, we mentioned how not all translations have it, okay? But Jesus says, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. And basically, Jesus is saying, you are still unable even to discern your own inclination. I am your example. My current mission is to save, not to destroy. And the the funny thing is, this is James and John. If we were to move ahead a little bit, once we finally get to the book of Acts, if we ever make it to Acts chapter eight, <laughs> that's this same John. So one of the, one of the brothers, he's bringing a very different kind of spirit and fire. So I leave that to the listener. You can go read about that, whatever. That's a neat little connection. But I don't know. I I think it's interesting to read the story and, you know, their response and all that. But just the idea that they thought that they could even pull this off is just hilarious to me. Now, is there any chance that James and John, do they have any background in zealotry, like their ancestry or their influence being among the zealots? Because the way that they responded sounds very zealot-like in terms of, you know, their their cause is for, you know, the righteous God that they're following and worshiping, but they think that the response is to take matters into their own hands to yeah. see the redemption being brought out by, you know, taking out the sword, um, yeah. so to speak. So I just wonder if James and John had any zealot influence in their lives. Yeah. I would say that most popularly, they are not grouped with those couple or three disciples that they think may have been zealots, because there were a couple of the disciples that were definitely from the zealots. James and John aren't usually included. They are If nothing else, I totally agree with you, it may just be that that is just their personality. And remember, they were kind of close with Peter, and we know Peter is this way as well. They were all fishermen. They all worked together. And I don't know, this might have just been, you know what, this this is, it's kind of like in America when if you were to go to the East Coast, right, they're kind of blunt and and, uh, Mm. abrupt, harsh, that kind of thing. It could have been that, that. You know, they were just part of the 
that part of Galilee where maybe they were like that? I don't know. I don't know. It's a really good question. But still, uh, they're not usually listed as zealots. Gotcha. Totally see your point, though. But let's see what happens to them. Now, you know, apparently they're not going to rain fire. So let's see what happens next. Uh, This is actually covering Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. And Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. And I'm going to go ahead and read Luke because it's got just a little extra stuff in it. So here we go. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. In the world of evangelism, this doesn't seem like the greatest example. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Sounds like Jesus is from the East Coast or something. Yeah. So, well... Let's see. Matthew says that Jesus wants to, again, travel to the other side of the sea. Okay. And and, and as far as we know, they're in Capernaum. Now, it's difficult to be certain where some of these stories are even taking place. And we get no immediate indication of, you know, if or or where they go. Uh, we, We just know that he desired to. So we don't even get the completion of that story or that thought. But we do get the stories of these three guys, and they want to be, you know, part of the in crowd. And none of them get the welcome, at least we imagine that they would have anticipated. In fact, as we were saying, it kind of seems like Jesus is being a little harsh. So what's really going on here? As they're walking along, and, and this is important. First, someone calls out to Jesus. Now, Matthew tells us that it's a scribe which is very interesting in and of itself. But this person volunteers, hey, I will follow you wherever you go. He wants to be, and I'm just going to say, not just a disciple. He probably wants to be more like one of the 12. And Jesus turns and says, hey, hey, way to go, buddy. Come on in. Uh, Not quite. Jesus lets him know what it is he's signing up for. This is going to cost you. You can look forward to some hardship, some suffering, some rejection. You would be practically homeless. In fact, you may think that God is taking better care of the animals than he is of you. Now, let's think about this for a second. We know that Jesus seemed to always have a place to stay, but they were never his own, right? It was always based on hospitality. Uh, And so he's telling this guy, look, you're signing up for 
basically given up your entire life. Is that really what you want? Look at me. If if I'm, you know, the supposed leader of this whole thing, I don't even have my own place. I depend on other people for everything, in in a sense. And that fits with other things Jesus has said, like whoever wants to save his life must lose it. Exactly. Yeah, and that that's a good one, because, yeah, I would never ask you to do anything I wouldn't do, <laughs> right? It could be kind of like that. But here's the thing, Samuel, you tell me. Did this guy join in or not? Uh, the text seems to imply we have no idea. That's right. We're never told. And then they just go on to the next story. So in Luke's version, instead of someone saying something to Jesus, now Jesus initiates. He tells somebody, hey, follow me. That's a big deal. That's like disciple level. I know. It's, 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 it's a huge deal. Now, here's what we don't know, though. I mean, we just read it, so we don't know, is is this guy, is he avoiding? Is he trying to put things off a bit? And and here's the reason I asked that question. If his dad was dead, like right now already, when he's asking this question, what's that guy even doing there? I mean, Jewish burial, it all happens very quickly. You have to, you have to do all of this stuff, and and. Why would he have been following Jesus around if his dad was dead? So maybe he wasn't. Uh, Or, I don't know, maybe the guy's completely sincere. But either way, culturally, this is a really, really, really big deal. It's an important familial responsibility. You've got to bury his father. But Jesus tells him, forget about it, right? And and so then the question is, well, how how literally are we supposed to take this? I mean, what he tells him is, let the bed der- let the dead <laughs> bury their own dead. Well, okay. Now, Samuel, I don't mean to be too silly, but can the dead bury their own dead? Nah. I mean, there's something a little wrong with that, right? And so, is Jesus meaning something else? Is he maybe referring to? The spiritually dead. Let them bury the physically dead. But even that, it's a little weird, at least in relation to Torah and everything that we've seen, the way God expects us to 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 bury someone and how important this is. So again, uh, I, I think we need to ask, well, well, maybe this guy, maybe he was just asking for uh, we wouldn't know it immediately, but maybe he was asking for a long period of time. Maybe maybe he was still waiting for his father to die. And Jesus is like, dude, the time is now. The kingdom is now. You can't wait, right? Or, or maybe, um, you know, once you bury them, there's a very, very long mourning periods, right? In the area of 11 months of mourning. Maybe this guy was expecting he was going to bury his father and wait the 11 months or something like that. We don't really know, but... Why are we here in this story and how important are these details? I think the takeaway is that this is, this again, like the first one, it's about the cost of discipleship. Now, it may have been a very, very literal story for this guy, his circumstance, but this isn't a universal thing for us. Remember, we've talked about things like this. Just because you become a Christian doesn't mean, well, 
see you, mom and dad. I got nothing to do with you because I'm a Christian now. Okay, that's not what this is talking about. Oh, dad died? Sorry, can't come help with the burial because I'm a Christian. No, that that's silly. This is not a universal thing. And I want to show that even in your Bible, it's not. But you know what? We're going to wait. Uh, what we're going to talk about is out of 1 Kings. It's chapter 19, verses 19 through 21. And you can start thinking about this. Uh, this is when Elijah actually calls Elisha or Elisha to the ministry, uh, to the uh, basically to take on his his mantle in his place. That's the point, anyway. And and we hear about Elisha and what he does. We'll, we'll talk about that. The call to discipleship, and this is sort of again, we're still talking about the takeaway. The call to discipleship takes precedence over all other duties in life. But even when we say that, we have to remember that we must remain solidly within the words and the spirit of Torah. Now, in this specific case, proclaiming the kingdom is more important than even burying your dead. Now, again, are we supposed to take that hyper-literally and, well, I had a chance to, you know, go do some preaching on a corner, so I didn't bother burying my dad. (laughs) I don't think so. But it's showing you the level of priority. That is a really, really high cost in their culture. And then, Samuel, just to be clear, did this guy respond properly? Did Did he follow Jesus or not? Um, does it not say again? It it really doesn't. In the Luke version, it doesn't. Right. But Matthew does, he inserts a very interesting thing. When he's talking about this guy, he refers to him as another of the disciples. So we don't really know. But if if Matthew is is really given the hint that it kind of appears that he is, this guy really must have joined in because he became one of the disciples. I just think that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And that that's that's not like one of the 12. It's like one of the surrounding, like the next layer out of disciples yeah. that were following Jesus, right? Yeah, exactly. Just, you know, the disciples, however many there were. Yeah. But anyway, Luke adds one more disciple, or one more uh, story, I guess. And this guy, he just wants to go and say goodbye to his family. That sounds reasonable, doesn't it, Samuel? Yeah? And this is what we were talking about. It's exactly like Elijah and Elisha. And you know what? This is the point. Maybe we better go ahead and read it. So this, again, is from 1 Kings. It's chapter 19, verses 19 to 21. Samuel, just read the part I got blocked out there. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen, and gave it to the people, and they ate. 
Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Okay. Now, so many similarities here. All he wanted to do was go back and say a goodbye. And that's exactly what this third guy wants to do. And remember, Jesus adds that little bit about no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. Well, what did Elisha do? He, he, he was following him, and he went back from following him, went and did all these things, and then he went back to Elijah. It's exactly the thing that Jesus is saying, seemingly, sounds like a bad thing, right? So is Jesus saying that what happened there in that story between Elijah and Elisha, is there something wrong with that? Is, is that wrong behavior? I mean, it's that same question, Samuel. When we become Christians, do we just throw everyone else under the bus? Again, don't take the story too literally and miss out on, on what's being communicated. It's about priority. And this final example, I don't know. I, I kind of think that it was included on purpose because it so undeniably points back to Elijah, that story. And so it, it, it helps us to see what's being said in balance. If this is in our Bible, and we can see that, and it's, it's never been understood as a bad thing that Elisha did, then what Jesus is saying, you know, you can understand the, the message of priority as opposed to the hyper-literal kind of message. So, again, Samuel, is it saying that we should drop all earthly responsibility and duty as much as it's saying that we should, I don't know, just be vigilant to to never allow those responsibilities and duties to interfere, supersede the mission? No, I mean, you you got to be a functioning human being in addition to your calling as a disciple. Yeah, see, and, and the picture that we should all have is that uh, life is filled with the mundane. And, you know, we would think of it like the common story here in America is, you know what, I get up, I go to work all week, and then I come home, and I got to do all this stuff around the house, and then I finally get my weekend, I try to rest up a little bit, and then I get up Monday, and I just do it all again, right? That's mundane. The point is that within that mundane life, we bring the image of God. We bring the kingdom. We elevate all of this mundane, ordinary stuff. We elevate it to the holy by our lives participating in it. That's what this is all about. And so, yeah, we, it's not saying to drop all that stuff. It's saying within it, do the mission of the kingdom, do discipleship, be the image of God. Now, you know, for what it's worth, Jesus's mission was greater than Elijah's. Jesus was greater than Elijah, etc. And and Jesus was actually right there at that moment. So, all three examples are about counting the cost and and maybe for these three individuals, maybe there was something more literal for them because the mission was so critical. I mean, there isn't that much time left. Jesus himself walking on the earth is calling them, but we shouldn't take it too literally for us. We should take the, the, the message 
as completely and wholly as we can, but we don't need to take it too literally. The real takeaway is about prioritizing the kingdom above all else, and we do that in the midst of everyday life. And that's just another example of how Christianity is the free gift that only costs your whole life. It's a high, high calling. Yeah, you're so right. I'm still reeling over the similarities between Jesus's words with the response about um, the the man saying he wants to go back and tell his family goodbye, and this passage in First Kings, like that, that to me sounds rabbinically like a remez, and that's when a rabbi is trying to teach a point and you can have a surface level reading and then the next aspect is the rabbi's words are hinting back to something else in the text in the Torah or the writings or the prophets and then the listener if they know their text is supposed to catch on to that that cross reference so to speak and then think about the surrounding context within that story that the rabbi is referencing to draw more insight into what the rabbi in the current time is trying to get across so it would be cool you know we can pitch this to listeners and even ourselves in our own time i have to think that if if he did it for the third example there there has to be something else present within the first one with like foxes and birds and then the second i mean i know that you mentioned the first king's one as well for going to let the dead bury their dead but there could be something else so I, i'm oh, just yeah I'm just curious that if Jesus is using that system for the third one, if there's potentially other remezes in the first and the second one, too. All right. Listeners, you are officially challenged. Find the remez for the first two uh, potential disciples. Let's call them that. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, isn't that an amazing match? That is so like that little, just that little bit of the Elijah story. I, just, I love it. All right. What, what do we got here? Oh, well, this will be a good one. We can keep going. We're going to move on to Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 12. Now, this is a really, not a really long, it's a fairly long section. But as I'm reading it, I'm going to warn you, you're going to think that somehow you started listening to the wrong episode because you've heard all this before. But you haven't. This is new, new stuff for us, so I'm going to go ahead and read it. Here we go. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter first, say... Peace be to this house, and if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. 
and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Okay. You should have been experiencing an awful lot of deja vu during that whole little bit. Okay? But let's address the, you know, kind of top down. Let's start our way through. First of all, my text here, this comes out of the ESV for whatever that's worth. It says 72. You may be looking at your text and it may say 70. And the thing is, we've got manuscripts going back in time. And you know what? Both of them appear. It's hard to tell. It's just really hard to tell what is the right number. We don't know. But people have have tried to make sense of, well, why would 72 be the number? Versus why would 70 be the number? To see if maybe that would, you know, sort of win the day. And it didn't. It's just another thing for people to argue over. So, you know, whatever. (laughs) But let's start with 72. Here's one of the explanations supporting that. 72 is supposed to relate to the number in the Sanhedrin. Now, the thing is, the number in the Sanhedrin is 73. So the idea is that it's these 72 which are sent out plus Jesus, or some would say plus the Spirit going with them, or they come up with things like that. But anyway, they get to 73 that way. And I'm just going to give a little shout out to my buddy, Tim, because he brought this up recently. I'd forgotten all about this one, so it's good. Another way to get to 72, some people look back and they go, oh, well, uh, when we're talking about Sinai, at some point, the 70 elders plus Aaron and Moses ascended Sinai in Exodus 24. But then others come along and they say, go, well, no, it was 70 elders and then it was two of Aaron's sons. And, you know, they, they, there's argument or confusion about exactly how many were there and who was included and who wasn't, whatever. But that's another way that they sort of encourage the idea of 72. Now, there are also ways that you can find reasons to think maybe 70 is the better number. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you how I feel about it. I personally personally lean toward the 70. So to me, the really, really important number here is 70 because it has always represented the nations. And when I say always, I mean ever since Genesis 10. If you go back there and read, what they actually give you is, it's called the table of nations. But if you look at it, there's 70 of them. And they always have represented every nation other than Israel. 
And so 70 is a representative number. Whether it's exactly correct for all time or whatever isn't the point, that's what it represents. And now why is that important? Well, this story is so much like the sending out of the 12. And, and okay, Samuel, what does the number 12 represent? The 12 nations of Israel, or yeah, 12, 12 tribes. 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 Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So, so the first time he sends out 12, well, we could say that that represents Israel. So if this time, if the number was 70, 70 would represent the nations. Now, that's, that in and of itself is almost too good to ignore. However, it should also remind us of another pair of stories. The feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. What did we learn about that, Samuel? Uh, Wasn't the first one specifically focused towards Jewish people, and then the second feeding was addressed specifically to Gentile people? Yeah, it was in, in those stories, it was using a lot of numbers, and those numbers very important in Jewish culture, all that. And and the first one, a bunch of those numbers seem to associate with Israel. And in the second one, the 4,000, a bunch of those numbers seem to associate with the nations. And so here, we've got two stories, the sending out of the 12 and the sending out of the 70 or 72. And again, you get that idea of, oh, whoa, that's good. Jews and then nations. This is crazy. So that is that's a very powerful theme for me. That, that's very convincing for me. Now, what would that be pointing to? Well, it's very similar to the feeding of the 5,000, 4,000. It's, it's the, the overall theme of God fulfilling his promises to Abraham. Abraham was supposed to be a blessing to all nations. And so through Abraham or through Israel, it, it, that, that whole story, it's sprinkled all throughout the scriptures. And so I think, just like with the feeding of the 5,000 and 4,000, this is just another example of that. First, God is, is blessing the Jews because they were the chosen ones. He, he chooses to work through them, and then the fulfillment of the promise is bringing in the nations, and so we see that here. Now, am I right? I don't know. But that's the way that it makes sense to me. That's why it stands out to me, and so that's the way I'm telling it here. Now, are we to take this information and i mean there's probably no way to know are these 70 people are they jewish or are they gentile or did they were the 70 like 70 going out to non-jewish people like there has to be some connection with what you said to their purpose or their origin instead of it just being you know the the connection to the number itself. Yeah, well, and you're, that's a really good point. First of all, I would say, are they themselves Jewish or not? And I would say that one, we should feel pretty confident that they are. Just Jesus doesn't seem to be interested in having any Gentile disciples. And the, the man with legion of demons, mm-hmm. that, that was a really good example of that. So I would say, yeah, I'm betting these guys are Jewish. However, I, there's nothing explicit in the text, so we can't actually know. But my guess is they probably were not going into any Gentile towns. They were probably going to all Jewish towns. 
at least primarily Jewish towns. So I think the the only real connection is the fact that there was 12 the first time and 70 the second time, at least in terms of nations kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, just real quick, let's look at a lot of the similarities between these two, right? Number one, they were supposed to go out in pairs. They were supposed to go ahead of Jesus. They both include this part about praying for laborers. And they both include the part about <laughs> the laborers actually turned out to be themselves. They're praying for laborers and they're them. They both talk about being lambs among wolves. They're both told, take nothing with you. They're both told to stay in one hospitable house. Don't move around house to house. They were both told to accept the food that was set before them. Uh, Part of the idea behind this is, you know, there were slight variations in food standards uh, among the different Jewish homes, that kind of stuff. Not enough that it should matter, but he's just telling them, look, don't be finicky. Just eat what's put before you. Uh, They were both supposed to proclaim the the kingdom. They were both supposed to perform signs of that kingdom. They were both to wipe the dust of their feet when a town didn't receive them. And in both cases, we're told that it's going to be more bearable for Sodom than for them. I mean, these two stories are so similar. It's, It's amazing. But there is just, again, that one notable difference. The 12, they were explicitly given authority over unclean spirits and demons, casting them out. And for whatever reason, here in the story of the 70 or 72, they were not, at least not explicitly. And maybe we know what that means. Maybe we don't know what that means. Maybe it'll be important later. Um, don't want don't to put too much on that, but there's, it was at least a difference that, that we could note. So anyway, the thing is, and we don't get to do this very often, so it's exciting. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we cover a lot of this in an earlier episode. That's the the when he sends out the 12. So that's back on the Gospels, number 51. So go listen to that if you want to hear more detail again or, you know, kind of compare the two or whatever. Just to be clear, even though this story does represent the kingdom going out to the nations, you know, those towns, they're probably all Jewish. And maybe, maybe they did have the freedom to visit some Gentile villages. I, I don't know. We just don't have any particular evidence one way or the other. So the the logical, probable place would be Jewish villages. Yeah. So this connection could be thought of as like for us in the future who have hindsight and the rest of Jesus' story where we can use the the choices and numberings to think about bigger picture within God's narrative of like to the Jew first and also to the Greek and then you know yeah. chosen Jewish people are meant to bless all nations you know yeah. i.e. the Gentiles rather than it being more of a literal like these 70 were meant to be sent out to the Gentiles or that they were Gentiles themselves right exactly yeah yeah definitely nothing literal like your second point yeah nothing like that it's just that, that uh, I don't know, it's it, so much of what we've seen in the Gospels, there's, there's like what is printed right in front of your face, and then there's, there's all this backstory 
And that backstory leads you back to the stories of the Old Testament, the stories in Torah, and what did that represent? And I mean, the beauty, and we'll talk about this, there's more than one time this comes up. You think about back in Genesis 10, or in that area, when God was confusing the people and spreading them out, all of that. Okay, so that's like when the nations are, you know, quote-unquote created, if you will, or that's their inception. And and this, in a sense, could also represent, yeah, that's what we did back then, but guess what? This is a picture of how we're going to bring them all back together. And of course, that's the whole story of Jesus and what God's doing and all that. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's a great image. That's it. really cool that we have an example of this in the Gospels, because more often than not, that problem of people taking scripture out of its originally intended context happens more exclusively within the Old Testament and you know a a perfect example is like Isaiah 53 and I'm not saying that there's not messianic connections to it and then it's not referring to Jesus but there there also was a present time meaning like of Isaiah giving these words to the people um, right as well so it's just it's cool to take that practice that so many people including myself are trying to work on within the old testament and say like oh it even happens in the new testament as well yeah that's a great point uh so often we will read something and we read it through our 2021 or 2022 lens and it's not that what we see or read or think that it's trying to tell us, it's, it's not to say that the, it doesn't have value, that it's, you know, quote unquote, right. But remembering to go back and say, wait a second, this had to have meaning. It had to make sense in that time and in that place for these people. And doing that often leads you to a a much greater picture of what's really going on and then what's really happening back then and understanding that then turns around and somehow informs what it is you think you're reading today. And it just, everything, you know, if it was black and white, it just became color. If it was, you know, an unfinished painting, it just became finished. If it was, right, all of those things, it just, it it, it enriches it all. It's just, it's awesome. Mm Mm-hmm. Totally agree. Yeah. And we're going to totally stop. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah. We're, there's no way we can do anymore. We're almost out of time, and it's a, the next section's big. And Jesus starts to get down on some people, so Uh-oh. it'll be a fun way to start next yeah. time. <laughs> Okie dokie. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Okie Dokie Most Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review to let us know how this content is impacting your life. You can find out more information about the podcast at www.okidokimos.com. And if you'd like to get a hold of us, please send us an email at okidokimos at gmail.com. And until next time, we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. See you all next week.